Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. As you grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to the book of Haggai. Now, the easiest way to find the book of Haggai, because it's really small, is to find the Gospel of Matthew. And in your Bible, probably turn back into the Old Testament, about six to ten pages, and there you're going to find the book of Haggai, right between the prophets Zephaniah and Zechariah. Okay? If I were to come by your house today, I wonder, would I find anything left unfinished? Maybe you mowed the yard, but yet you didn't weed eat. Or maybe this morning you made breakfast, yet you have still not washed the dishes, right? You kind of left that. Or maybe even the dishes from supper are still in the sink. Or maybe there's that room that you refinished, but you never got around to putting in that baseboard along the edge. Or maybe there's that hole in the wall that you've spackled, but you've not sanded it or painted it yet. Or perhaps... There's that laundry that was washed but never folded or folded but not yet put away. Now the truth of the matter is that for every one of us, it's likely at your house and at my house, there are things that are unfinished. Now as we go to the book of Haggai this morning, the people of Israel, they had some unfinished work as well. Namely the temple of God. It lay in ruin. You see, Babylon... That great empire under King Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem and had destroyed the temple in 586 B.C. And along with that destruction came deportation. Many, many Israelites were carried off into exile there into a land that was foreign to them, the land of Babylon, which we read all about if you want to do some more research in the book of 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and other places in Scripture. Thousands were carried away into Babylon. People that we know so well, people from the Bible like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guys like that. But a few decades later, after they were brought in to Babylon, in 538 BC, the great kingdom of Babylon fell. The Medo-Persian Empire, under the leadership of King Cyrus, came and conquered Babylon. And King Cyrus had a different approach. He decided that he was going to allow the Israelite exiles to return to their homeland that very same year. And he even pledged to help them to rebuild their temple. And so tens of thousands of Israelites were led back home by a Jewish leader named Zerubbabel, who would become their governor right there in Israel. And not long after the people returned home, they began the hard work of rebuilding the temple. But they didn't get very far. They got sidetracked. They got intimidated. They got used to living with it partially done. Can I get a witness? You ever been there before? Right? You get used to living with something partially done. They left the work unfinished. And it was left unfinished for at least 15 years. And so here in the book of Haggai, written in the year 520 B.C., 18 years after they had first come back into the land, God is calling them back to the work, back to finish the work with urgency. 
You see, you got to understand it was an urgent work because if you're going to understand the urgency, you have to understand what the temple was, why the temple was so important. You see, the temple was the only place of worship for the people of Israel. Not only that, but on top of that, the temple was the place where the people were routinely reconciled to God by having their sins atoned for through rituals of sacrifice and offerings. But not only that, but on top of that also, the temple was the place where God manifested his presence there in the Holy of Holies amongst the people of Israel. So for those three reasons and several more, the temple was of utmost importance to the daily life of Israel, yet there it sat, ignored. Their work was left unfinished. And so as we pivot to from 520 B.C., To A.D. 2020, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, 2020, right now, there is still unfinished work to be done. Now, I'm not talking about the temple. The temple was already built. The temple's already been destroyed again. I'm talking about the kingdom. The kingdom. You see, just like God was calling the people of Israel to work to build the place of his manifest presence on earth there in the temple, God is calling us the people of God, to work to build his manifest presence on earth, which the New Testament calls the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. If you were to search your New Testament, you would find those two phrases. They're interchangeable. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. You would find those two phrases used almost a hundred times. In Jesus Christ, God established his kingdom here on earth. But at this point in 2020, it's still unfinished, right? It's already here, but it's not yet finished. And you and I are called to engage in that unfinished work. And that brings me to today's truth that I want you to get from this first chapter in the book of Haggai that I believe God would have us to take away. And it's this, God expects us To faithfully work at building his kingdom. Let me say it again. God expects us to faithfully work at building his kingdom. Now, when I was beginning to prepare this message, I I first, in that phrase there, instead of the word expects, I thought, I think I'm going to use the word invites. God invites us to work faithfully at building his kingdom. But as I got to thinking about it and praying about it, that word invites, it doesn't communicate the necessity of us engaging in that work. You see, I've been invited to do a lot of things. I've been invited to help this person move, or I've been invited to go do that or to go do this, right? I mean, you think about all the jobs that you've been invited to do. But to many of them, I've said no, and you have as well. Because I was only invited when it comes to engaging in the kingdom of God, when it comes to engaging in kingdom building for Christians, we are certainly invited, but we're, we're more than invited. God expects us to faithfully work to build his kingdom. And so I wonder this morning, are you truly engaged in that work? Or are you like the people of Israel in Haggai's day? who focused on building their own lives, who focused on building their own houses and ignored the temple of God. 
Well, today we're going to begin, as Pastor Brandon said in the intro there, a new series called Greater Things. We're going to walk through the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, it, it contains four oracles from God, and every single one of them, y'all, is calling God's people from lesser things to greater things, from bad and even good things to better and best things, from mediocrity to excellence, from complacency to engagement, all out engagement. And so today we're going to look at the first oracle, and the title of today's message is, Do You Have the Time? Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, today's truth, God expects us to faithfully work at building his kingdom. If we're going to do that, then our text points us to five or to four actions, I should say, to four actions this morning that we've got to do if we're going to do that. First, the first action is this, is to get rid of the excuses. Get rid of the excuses. Israel had excuses. Look here with me, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of God says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? (laughs) What a word from God. You talk about a challenge, a a God being um, right up in their grill, so to speak here, right? Calling them out for their excuses. They had had two decades at this point, y'all. And yet the people still said, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. The time had still not yet come in their minds to rebuild the house of the Lord. Maybe they were looking for the stars to align. Or, or maybe they were looking to get past the crop season. Or maybe they were looking for a certain level of, of economic security. Or a certain level of security and peace to be reached. I mean, the, the reason is not given here. They didn't give a reason. They just said, it's not time yet. Or maybe they were actually saying this. I just don't have time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Have you ever seen anybody or heard anybody throw out that excuse before? I just don't have time right now to serve God in that way. Maybe that's the excuse that you're given this morning. Maybe that's the excuse that is keeping you right now from getting in there and and serving God how God would have you to serve. I would do this for God. I would do that for God. But I just don't have time right now. As the people of God and as the people of Israel in those days, when God and Israel were having this conversation here through the prophet Haggai, they were looking at the temple. And it was there in ruins. And the people were saying, God, we just don't have time. We, we would do this for you, God. We would love to do this, but we just don't have time. It's not time yet. And then God turns and he pivots. And he looks over at their houses and he says, boy, this house is in ruins, but look at y'all's. 
Man, y'all's houses look fine and finished. I mean, you guys even went and paneled the walls. Now, in that day, I mean, that was a sign of wealth, right? They didn't usually have paneled walls. It was a sign of wealth. It was a, a sign that they had really put a lot of time and effort and money into their own homes. God says, look at y'all's. It looks so good and finished over there. And in that moment, the I don't have time excuse was exploded. It was busted right there on the spot. They had time for themselves. They, they had time to build their own houses. They had time to build their own lives. They had time for everything else. But when it came to God, they just didn't have time. Nevertheless, y'all, God expected them to faithfully work at building his house. And I say to you this morning, Eastwood and everybody else who's watching, God expects us to faithfully work at building his kingdom. And so, beloved, it is time to get rid of the excuses, right? You don't have time to serve God and to expand his kingdom right here in Bowling Green in this region. You have time for everything else. When you think about your discretionary time, I'm not talking about the time that you're at work necessarily, right? You're on somebody else's clock there, but when you're off somebody else's clock and you're on your clock, could you really look at God and say, God, I just don't have time. You have time for everything else. Why don't you have time for God? And you may say, listen, Ben, I I'm being serious. I'm not just saying this. I, I really don't have time to serve God in that way. Then let me follow up with this one. If you were to look at everything in your time, how you spend it. Is serving God not more important than at least one of those things? Should not serving God take the place? Is it not more important than at least one of those things that you're currently filling up your time with? What excuse is keeping you from serving God to building the kingdom of God. There are greater things to get to than what you're currently filling your time with. It's time to get rid of the excuses. Second, if you're going to faithfully work to build God's kingdom, then we have to do this. We have to learn where real satisfaction comes from. Check out what Israel was experiencing there in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. The word of God says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What a vivid passage of scripture all through there. They were busy with all sorts of activities, man. But there was no real fruit. There was no satisfaction. The, Israel, the Israelites, they were sowing a lot, but they were harvesting a little. And I've done that before. I know that experience. I mean, I've planted gardens over the years. I tell people all the time, I'm really good at planting a garden. But I'm awful at harvesting because before it's over, either the deer have eaten it or the bugs have eaten it or the weeds have choked it out. I'm really good at planting, but I'm terrible at harvesting. And it's so frustrating because of all the work that you go through with very little return. There's no satisfaction. It's like, why, would I, why, why did I even put out this garden? The Israelites, they were eating a lot. 
but they were still hungry. After the live stream, if you were to go to McDonald's and buy the biggest burger that they have and eat it, probably in 15 minutes, man, you would be hungry again, right? All those processed foods, they just don't satisfy you. But if you really want a burger, if you really want a burger, head over to Five Guys on Campbell Lane, which has been voted the number one burger chain in America, and get one of those big bad boy burgers for lunch. And I promise you, you will not want to eat supper, man. You'll still be full. The Israelites, they had layers of clothes on, but they were still cold. They had layers of clothes on, he says, but, but they, they still weren't warm. Back when I was the associate pastor at Crofton Baptist there north of Hopkinsville, there was a sweet, uh, this sweet widow lady. She, she may have been 100 pounds soaking wet. And every Sunday she came to church in a fur coat. And it wasn't because she was wealthy. It was because she was freezing to death, she would always say. Even if it was 100 degrees in the shade, that sister would have on that fur coat. And when I would go up to her and say, good morning, how are you? Her response was always the same, summer or winter. Honey, I'm just freezing to death. <laughs> Bless her heart, man. How frustrating it must be to put on layers of clothes and even a fur coat and still be cold. The Israelites, they had money, but it just fell right out of holes in the bottom of their money bags. Their money was here today and it was gone tomorrow with nothing to show for it. All of that activity, and you know what that's like, to have all this activity but no satisfaction. And the truth of the matter is, in the Israelites' life, satisfaction was sitting right over there. Right over there on the temple mount, nothing would have satisfied them more than putting their hands and their hearts to work toward building God's house. And I say to you, you're trying to find satisfaction in all sorts of other places, investing, sports, money, hobbies, food, clothing, you name it. You're chasing after it, trying to find satisfaction, pursuing those things. And while they may not be bad, all of them, they'll never satisfy you. Straight up, they will never satisfy you. And so the most satisfying thing that you can do, listen to me, is to give your hands and your heart to serving God and to building His kingdom. That's where you're going to find a real harvest. That's where you're going to get filled up and find warmth. That's where you're going to secure for yourself treasures in heaven. Real satisfaction comes from serving God and building his kingdom. Now I want to speak for just a moment to the person this morning who has never turned and trusted Christ as their savior. You have never repented of sin and trusted Jesus as your savior and Lord. And you're looking for satisfaction. The first step to finding satisfaction in your life is to understand, to see yourself for who you really are. You are a sinner in need of a Savior, just like me. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And secondly, you need to see not only how, who, who you are really, but you need to see Jesus for who He really is. He's the only Savior of the universe, right? He's it. You need to be saved from sin and you cannot save yourself. There are no other saviors. There's only Jesus. He's your only hope. He lived that perfectly moral life. 
He died that vicarious death for you on the cross. And God raised him again from the dead on that third day to prove that in his life and death, there is salvation for every person who will repent and trust in Jesus. The third step then, if you're going to really begin to find satisfaction, is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. See who you really are, see who Jesus really is, and turn and trust in Jesus. Then and only then will you begin to find true satisfaction because, listen, there is, there, there is satisfaction in serving God. But not only will you be satisfied, God will be satisfied. Look at Haggai 1, verse 7 and 8. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Listen to this. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You want God to be happy and pleased? You want God to be glorified and honored? Then work to build his kingdom. And you'll hear from God, well done. Don't you want to hear that from God? Don't you want to hear from God, well done? Jeff Shreve, Jeff Shreve, he, he's this Christian preacher and a teacher from Texas. And he shared how that phrase right there, well done, motivated him in the game of basketball. Before he was a preacher, he was a basketball player. When Jeff was in junior high or in high school, I mean, basketball was his sport. And although he was far from outstanding, he was an important part of that team, helping his team there, the Cypress Creek Cougars, to go 29-6 and six his senior year there in 1970 and 1980. His basketball coach was Norman Pash. Uh, he was basically an, an Al Pacino lookalike, Jeff says. And as a player, Jeff still remembers the wonderful feeling of hearing his coach praise him for a good game or for a great hustle. Jeff said this, quote, he said, Truth be told, hearing well done from the coach motivated me to give my all on the court. And you may be the same way. You would run through a wall for a coach. Or maybe there's somebody else in your life that you would do anything. If they said to do it, you would do it. Just to hear them say, Great job, you did it well done. If hearing well done from a mere man or from a mere woman could motivate you to greater things, then how much more should hearing well done from the God of the universe motivate you to build his kingdom? Not only will you be satisfied, but God will be satisfied. So learn where real satisfaction, where true satisfaction comes from. Third, this morning. Third, if we're going to faithfully work at building God's kingdom, then number three, don't wait for God to discipline you. Don't wait for God to discipline you. Now, my dad, a lot of you guys know my dad, man. My dad, he, he's good at a lot of things. But one of the things that my dad is best at is working. You know what I'm saying? Maybe your dad is like that, man. He could work from sun up to sundown and then come home and work some more. He's always been a hard worker. Even though he's small in stature, right? I, mean, I was bigger than my daddy in fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, for real. All right? But he's always been so strong. He's always been relentless at working. Well, I got to admit to you that there were times 
when I was growing up that my work ethic didn't match my daddy's. You know what I'm talking about? And so maybe we'd be out cutting wood to heat our house for the winter or hoeing out the garden or the tobacco patch. And from time to time, I might get a lazy streak in me. <laughs> and my dad, he was good at recognizing when that was about to happen, all right? And so he, would, he, would, he, he knew quickly it was going to be one of those days. And so to motivate me just a little, dad would go over to the nearest tree he could find. And he would cut a switch about as long as your arm. <laughs> For those of you who are young in the audience and you don't know what a switch is, a switch is this small, flexible branch he just cut from that tree. And back in the day, when a kid didn't do right, parents would take that switch and switch them up and down the backside. Maybe get your back, maybe get your legs, maybe get your bottom. But you're going to get a pretty good whooping, I promise you, from a switch, okay? You talk about motivation. Now, my dad, he didn't have to whoop me too many times. He would just take that switch, and he'd stick it right in his back pocket. And we'd go off cutting wood, and I'd look over there, and I'd say, hmm, I I see that switch, Daddy. I think I'm ready to work. (laughs) I think I'm ready to get going. Well, beloved, do you see what God's doing here in this text? He is lovingly threatening to discipline the children of Israel. We sang just a moment ago with Pastor Dana about how God is a good father. And that's true. He is a good father, and he does what a good father is supposed to do. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Could it be, even now, that one of the reasons that God in his providence has allowed this pandemic to sweep across the world and across Kentucky is because you and I have been busy with everything else. And God in his goodness decided to remove it all, to get rid of all of our busyness so that we might get back to the heart of what Christian living is. Really loving God and serving God. God. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason this has happened, but could it be that that's one of the reasons that God wants to work in this? He wants to remove our busyness so that we would focus on what we're really supposed to be about. And as a child who has been disciplined, right? That's me. I've been disciplined by my earthly father and by my heavenly father. I'm here to tell you, it's way better to just go ahead and do what your daddy told you to do instead of experiencing that discipline that's going to come. Discipline hurts. Don't wait for God to discipline you. Faithfully work at building God's kingdom. And finally this morning, and we look in Haggai here, if we're gonna faithfully work at building God's kingdom, then we've got a number four Get to the work of the Lord. Get to it. Get to work. You can't just plan to do something or aim to do something. You have to actually do it. (laughs) I love what I read here in Haggai because that's exactly what the people of Israel did. God didn't have to discipline them. They got to it right away. Look at verses 12 through 15. Haggai 1, 12 through 15. The, the, The word of God says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God 
and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. This is what God says to him in this. Look at this. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Beloved, they didn't wait. They got to it right away that very month, just 24 days later, they resumed work on the temple. Now, I assume reading here that they would have done it quicker if they could have gotten their resources and their tools together. They didn't wait. So I say to you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? God expects you and me to be about the work of building his kingdom. So how do you do that? Let me just give you just a few things that you can do directly to build God's kingdom. First is share the good news. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, I understand sometimes it's hard to just jump right into the gospel. You can use your testimony, your story, to get into the gospel of Jesus Christ. So share the good news. That's how you can work on building the kingdom of God. Also, you can do works of kindness and charity in the church and in the community. I'm hearing stories all the time about how neighbors are actually being neighbors in this season. And it's your opportunity, Christian, to go and to build the kingdom of God through kindness and charity. Third is you can encourage one another. Listen, I was talking to a sister this past week and she said, I miss my church family so much. Why? Because there's encouragement there. We as Christians, we're to encourage one another. And that's an important role in building and expanding the kingdom of God. Fourth, how can you build the kingdom of God? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. Fifth, pray for kingdom causes. Prayer is working to build the kingdom. Sixth, give to kingdom causes. You have an opportunity all around you here, particularly through Eastwood Baptist Church, to give to kingdom causes. And finally, volunteer to lead ministries and to serve in ministries. I know that at this point, the governor has said that there's a date penciled in that when we will be back together. And there's going to be the temptation to sit back and wait before jumping in and serving again. I want to say to you this morning, don't wait. Get in there. Now is the time. God wants to build his kingdom. He wants to use us right here in the Bowling Green region to build his kingdom. He wants to use us to do it. And right now, God has given us the perfect opportunity. People are more open and are hungrier than ever before. And so don't waste this opportunity, Eastwood. Get to work for the Lord. Your house is built enough. It's time to build God's kingdom. Here's my final prayer this morning. May the growth of God's kingdom explode through the God-powered effort 
of the people of Eastwood. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.